0: Jam packed Wednesday. NBA playoffs are hot. We're all over it. We've talked about it. Lakers are going to be fine. Bucks are not. All that and a whole lot more in the hopper. But special guest today. In this spot in this show, as often as we can, we will bring you someone really special that we can spend a little extra time with. And today we have the super hall of famer, one of the most beloved players in pro football history, Brett Favre. And when you have a guest of this magnitude, you have to prepare something special for the introduction, so
1: we did. There's a lot of guys who can do some things, and I call those something guys, because they can do something. Then there's some guys who can do everything, and there are, there are not a lot of those guys. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's only one or two or three of those guys in a generation. I call those guys everything guys, because they do everything. And then there's one guy who can do more than everything, and I call that guy Brett Favre. That's
0: Frank Caliendo and there he is. The legendary Brett Favre is with me here on ESPN radio and Brett, I just want you to know. So I talked to Caliendo about doing that. And and then we got to talking about that impression and and how much it sort of helped grow your myth and your legend. And where we basically netted out is that he now thinks he's the reason you're in the hall of fame. I just wonder what your reaction to that is.
1: Um, he's got a good point. Um, (laughs) I would think it it boosted both of our careers, Frank and myself. You know,
0: it's funny because um, they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but he doesn't do an imitation of you. He does an imitation of someone idolizing you, worshipping you, which is even better. It is even better than the sincerest form of flattery. What do you think of that impression And the Million Times?
1: I I agree 100%. in, In fact, I mean, the this tells you how good he is. When I heard that just now, I thought that was actually John Madden. So, uh, he, he does a wonderful impression, and uh, I I suppose there could be worst impressions, uh, or uh, uh, not positive, he could do an impression, but not be positive uh, statement. So, I'm honored, not only that Frank would do that, but also that Coach Madden, uh, for whatever reason, liked me so much.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let let me get a couple of the the sort of current things um, into the conversation here because there's so much I want to talk to you about your career. But let's just start, I mean, obviously, the situation in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, which is in so many ways identical to the one that you went through 15 years ago, and you've talked a good deal about it. I guess what I would ask you is for those of us on the outside, like how would you describe what it feels like? When, when, When you're the quarterback of a team, you own the town, and they draft a guy that everybody now knows is going to replace you like how would you put into words what that actually feels like when it's you
1: you know um, it may surprise people but I wasn't uh, when that happened uh, when we drafted Aaron uh, there is one big difference uh, when you compare the two situations and and that that big difference is when we drafted Aaron we were coming off of a bad year when they drafted Jordan Love this year. They were coming off of a, a play or two or a play, player away from the Super Bowl. So it's a big difference, uh, which is one of the reasons I said I was a little bit surprised that they didn't go with an immediate need, uh, being that they were so close to the Super Bowl. So that, that's, a, that's a big difference. And I, I think Aaron felt the same way, too. He wasn't upset that they drafted a the quarterback. He was more upset that they... They didn't get an immediate need, whatever that is. I, it's not for me to say, but um, I, I think if anything, uh, th- the reality kind of hits you if it hadn't already that the end is nearer than it had been at any other time in your career. You know that they they finally have drafted the quarterback, or, or assuming that they've they've uh, drafted the uh, the next person to, to take the reins. And so when that end will be uh, is always a question. And I, you know, I I don't, I never felt threatened. Um, I just felt like uh, um, and really in the, in the big picture, I felt like the odd man out at that time in my career, even though I was the guy who had been on that team the longest, because all the coaching staff that, drafted me uh, or, or traded for me that was there when we won the Super Bowl. Well, they were all gone. Every player that I played with in 96 was gone. Uh, and, and I felt like the odd man out. And that really, the draft and error really kind of uh, accelerated the, uh, I'm, I'm the odd man out mentality.
0: It's a really interesting thought. One more on that, and that is, I saw you recently quoted as saying you could see him going to Chicago. That would be the only thing that I would imagine could torture Packers fans more than you going to Minnesota. How how much of that is, is a part of it? How much does that rivalry factor into thoughts like that?
1: Well, I really kind of said it jokingly, to be honest with you. Do I think that that would happen? Nothing would surprise me in today's game. Uh, You know, I never thought I'd see Tom Brady play in in another uniform. I never – going back to Joe Montana, I I thought it was uh, absolutely impossible for him to leave San Francisco. And then, you know, with me, you see guys retire, unretire. You see guys change teams quite often. So nothing would surprise me. But um, I can't imagine – I don't care what the trade is. I cannot imagine the Packers allowing – Aaron to play against them in the division. Uh, Now in saying that I thought the same thing with me, Um, but you know, again, I I said that jokingly because we were talking about my career and uh, how things uh, ended up. But uh, I I, I would certainly think that Packer fans would, would, you know, know, mutiny, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it, it, it would, it would be a sight to behold.
0: Let's see what happens. It would, be, it would be fun for the rest of us. Okay, let's talk about something much more fun. I keep hearing everyone say as we watch Patrick Mahomes, who has begun his career in about as spectacular a fashion as can be imaginable, I keep hearing comparisons to you. When you watch Patrick Mahomes play, what do you see, and does he remind you of you?
1: Yeah, I, I think our style is very, very similar, and, and I'll say this uh, with Aaron Rodgers in mind, too i I'm really impressed with uh how they're able to be be a somewhat of a gunslinger but protect the ball I didn't protect the ball near as near as well as uh those guys obviously um i was i was a, a lot more reckless and it's hard to play reckless and protect the ball so that that's the big difference and it's a it, it is a huge difference uh you know, to make big plays. And it's not like he's thinking and dunking uh, And the same can be said for Aaron, you know, they're, they're making unbelievable plays inside and outside of the pocket, but they're also protecting the ball, uh, which is nothing short of amazing.
0: And obviously a lot of credit for that goes to the development and Andy Reed. And I, I just wanted to get a thought from you on this because I have had conversations with Andy Reed and John Gruden who were together on the staff when you were at Green Bay, and they would tell me stories about how competitive they were with each other, that they would fight all the time about seeing which one of them could design more plays that you liked and that Mike Holmgren liked and that they ran. What are your recollections of that with these two now legendary figures, Andy Reid and John Gruden?
1: Absolutely 100% correct. Uh, you know, obviously they were in their infant stages of, of their coaching career, much like my, my playing career. Uh, but they were ultra competitive, not only against each other, uh, but against other coaches, and very challenging to their players. And so when Andy took over as quarterback coach, uh, I, I'll be honest with you, he was an offensive lineman at BYU, who protected Jim McMahon, uh, and, and you know, and I'm thinking, what can he teach me at, at the quarterback position? But he challenged me. We didn't meet a great deal, but what we met about was uh was very useful i mean it, i mean he was just very challenging in a way that you enjoyed going to work and being in his meetings and uh it was fun to see the the banter between uh both coaches back and forth but also the other coaches as well
2: it's
0: fun, and the role they played in developing your career, and you played obviously in what they went on to do. Okay, now I just, I just want to have some fun. I've never had a chance to talk to you in this general of a sense. So we know you played against some of the great defensive players of all time. Was there ever a guy you just wouldn't throw at? I'm thinking of Deion Sanders. But was there ever a guy that if he was on the field, you just weren't throwing it in his direction?
1: Yeah, it would be Deion Sanders. And in saying that, I challenged him. I think I threw one ball – I threw more than one ball uh, to Dion in, in, pro, in the pros. I'm going to say maybe two or three. But two – say it's three. Two of those were crossing routes, which was not what he enjoyed covering because there was a lot of picks and things like that. So that if you were going to get Dion, it was going to be on a crossing route. But I challenged him on an out route. Uh, when he was with Dallas in in Green Bay in the playoff game, and he took it to the house, of course. Uh, But Florida State, the first play ever against Florida State for me, we did a rollout to the left, and lo and behold, I throw it at Deion. I hit him right in the numbers, and he he goes all the way to the house, you know, does his dance. Uh, So I, I learned my lesson.
0: For people who aren't old enough to have seen him play, there's a lot of people listening to this conversation who didn't. How, just how good was he? I,
1: I, I don't. I haven't seen anyone up to this day come close to how he played. And and and, and I'm talking about defensively. What about kick returning? I mean, if you kicked Dion, you were absolutely insane. And if you threw it Dion, you were absolutely insane. This guy was the, the most talented. DB or talented athlete I have ever seen that I've that I faced uh, across from him. When you look back,
0: Brett, when you look back on your career, what's the one game you remember the most fondly? The one game or moment that you were that brings you the most joy when you look back on it now?
1: Well, you know, there's several, uh, but I'd have to say the Oakland game, which. Uh, I think most people would agree is their favorite uh, for obvious reasons. Um, You know, I wanted to honor my dad, not just by playing, but playing better than i would ever played in my career. And at halftime, I'd already had better statistics uh, than I'd had in any four quarter game ever. And, uh, and we needed to win the game. That I think that gets overlooked at times in order to have the playoff Uh, opportunity we had to win that game and I knew that just playing was not good enough and so uh, uh, you know what I I, I don't know of any other way I could honor my dad the way I did
0: I had a feeling that's the one you'd think of how about the other side what's the one that still every player has a game that still keeps them up all these years after they retire that you wake up in the middle of the night and 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 it still breaks your heart what's that game
1: the championship game against the Saints when I was in Minnesota uh, as many hits as I took and as, as physically beat down as I was, I still had an opportunity to win that game um, in spite of all that stuff. And and I, I made a poor choice. And, and that's what haunts me. Not, I have no ill feelings towards the Saints. Never did. Uh, never will. I, my, my, my feeling about that game is I personally blew it. And, and that's hard to live with.
0: Who's the one player in history, whether it was someone you played against or, or, or that you've seen, that you would have loved to have played with? If, if, I could, if I could let you have played with any one player in NFL history that you didn't get a chance to play with, who would it be? Well, my favorite
1: of all time was Roger Staubach. I'd love to play with him, but that would mean I would be sitting on the bench.
0: <laughs> that might be true. That could be an interesting debate. It would be an interesting coach's decision one way or the other. All right, final one. For you, Brett, and that is when people talk about you. and we joked about Madden at the beginning, but sometimes they talk about you as almost a mythical figure. You're, you're, you're like more of a legend almost than, than people look at you as a player. What do you hope people remember about your career? Like when people talk about Brett Favre, who was a football player once. What, what would you like them to say?
1: Real simple. That no one had as much fun and no one had as much passion for the game as. His idea. I, I don't care about people saying he was the best passer or he was the best gunslinger. None of that stuff matters. What matters is um, What kind of teammate I was and I think most of the guys that I played with would would speak up on my behalf that I was in it for them first and I had tremendous passion and I just loved to play with my, my teammates and, and that never wavered in 20 years.
0: Brett, this is my first week doing this back, and, and it really means a lot to me that you did it. Thank you for making the time. You stay healthy, and I'll see you down the road.
1: All right, Greeny. Thanks for having me on. All
0: right, so that was Brett Favre, and, and we obviously we taped that yesterday, and um, I'm really appreciative of him. When we decided to come back and do this show, we set aside this slot that I have this extra time. That was a long interview, and, and I think there's a lot to talk to Brett about, and I hope everyone, all of you, enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed having that conversation with him and my appreciation to him. And I want to make a point about Brett Favre, and it's a larger issue. So I put a poll question up on my Twitter. If you're not following me, you should be, at ESPN Greeny, because we'll do a lot of our connection on there. And I put a poll question up pretty much every day, and we use the poll on GetUp, and we use it here. And, you know, the Packers have three of the great quarterbacks of all time in their history. They have Bart Starr, they have Brett Favre, they have Aaron Rodgers. And I asked the question, who's the greatest quarterback in Packers history? And with a majority of the vote, over 50% of the vote are voting for Brett Favre. And it is a testament to just how beloved he is. Because the reality is you could make, you, could, you, could, you can argue it almost any way you want. But Bart Starr is the most forgotten about great player ever. Bart Starr, who was drafted one spot later than Tom Brady. Brady was the 199th pick. Starr was drafted 200th. Still has the highest postseason postseason passer rating in NFL history. He was 9-1 in the playoffs. He won five championships, including the first two Super Bowls, and was the MVP of both. So that's part star. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen. Not the greatest. Brady is the greatest. But but, but Rodgers is the best. Patrick Mahomes is on the verge of eclipsing that. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly when we hand that mantle over to Mahomes. If you wanted to do it now, and some people are, I'd probably argue we need to see it a little longer. He's clearly headed in that direction. But until he takes it, the one he's taking it from is Rodgers, who in my lifetime took it from Elway. Elway was the best quarterback I ever saw. Combination of athleticism, throwing the football, tough as hell. John Elway was as tough as it came. It popped in the chops, get up in the next play and throw a 60-yard touchdown. Elway was unbelievable. Rodgers replaced him, in my eyes, as the best quarterback I ever saw, and Mahomes is about to do that. But Favre just had something about him. And the best way I can explain it is this. When Favre got traded to the Jets, for those of you who don't know me and are getting to know me, I have been a Jet fan since before I was born. My parents were season ticket holders when they were the Titans before I came along. So the Jets are in my blood, and they will be for the rest of my life. So Favre comes to the Jets on my birthday, and I'm hosting Mike and Mike at that time, so I start talking about it on the air. And I'm asking for Packer fans, I know how much you love this guy, and obviously I've watched him. And I ask the question, why is it, on the air, I ask the question, why is it you love him so much? And we had a call, and I still remember it. I remember it so vividly. A caller says to Greeny, here's what's going to happen. He's going to throw a terrible interception and you're going to want to kill him. And you're going to have like three consecutive three and outs and you're going to be thinking, what is it about this guy? And then there's going to come a play where it's third and 14. One guy is hanging on his leg. Another guy has his helmet down and is about to drill him in the ribs. And Favre will throw a 15-yard rope for the first down. Guy will break a tackle, go running for a touchdown, and Favre will be the second guy to get to the end zone. He will be running faster than anyone else to go and celebrate because he'll be the most excited person in the entire stadium that this just happened. And he said, in that moment, Greeny, you will know why and you will love him, too. And he's right. That's exactly right. Favre's one year with the Jets, by the way, is the most forgotten, outstanding season in NFL history. Favre was terrific with the Jets. And at one point that year, the Jets looked like a Super Bowl team. And then he got hurt, and that was the end of that, and they wound up not even making the playoffs. And the guy they turned their back on to do it was Chad Pennington. He wound up in the division, was comeback player of the year, and won the division that year. It was a year that uh, – the one of two years that Brady didn't win it through all that time. My point is, Favre was – his one year with the Jets was much better than people remember. The year – that one terrific season in Minnesota – Whereas he just talked about, he has them in the NFC Championship game, then he throws a terrible interception, and they wind up losing. You just heard him say that haunts him more than any other game in his career, that he feels that he blew it. He said it. I didn't have to. And then, But, of course, he'll always be remembered as a Packer, and, and he is in his own way, and Madden added to that, and, and there's just a stature. There's just something about Favre. There are some players who just love him, and it's kind of hard to explain why. In my lifetime, and and it's before me, but in my world, Joe Namath had that quality. That's probably just based primarily on the fan base that I grew up in and around and the fact that he won that one biggest game ever and that he had that swagger and all the rest of that. Namath is my Favre. I'm not from Green Bay. He, He had one very nice year with the Jets, and I loved watching Brett Favre play. Namath is my Favre. We all have a Favre, right? We all have a guy who's our Favre. We all think of one player, maybe several, but at least one. That we love the way the Packer fans love Brett Favre. And they always will. And here they are, 15 years after he left there, still voting for him in huge numbers over Bart Starr and Aaron Rodgers. Because whether he was better than them or not doesn't matter. There was something about Favre he just loved. All right, coming up. The biggest decision of the NFL preseason is being made right now.
3: Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
0: Rolling on. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio and on TV on ESPN News. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're going to give the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line a workout here. Came up with a new idea today. Going to give it a go. There's a lot of big questions out there in sports, and it occurs to me that we have the unlimited resources here on this show to try and get you some of the answers, stuff that I'm wondering about. So I got one question for a bunch of different people, and we're going to fire them around and see if we can't get ourselves some answers. In my opinion right now, let's start in Chicago. I
4: have only one question.
0: The biggest quarterback question going into the NFL season is who's going to be the starting quarterback with the Chicago Bears this year? trubisky or Foles? jeff dickerson espn's nfl nation bears reporter might have that answer jeff what have we seen so far
2: so greeny two padded practices thus far that have been open to us they're splitting reps equally on monday trubisky was the first guy on the huddle yesterday it was Foles. i mean i would say greeny having covered all these training camps over the years every you know two days a training camp you're going to have some good throws and some bad throws trubisky's had some good moments some bad moments Same with Nick Foles. I thought, though, Greeny, the key was yesterday when Bears head coach Matt Nagy, I asked him on our Zoom call, can he say right now definitively that Trubisky is a better player than he was last year? Because everyone knows that last year was not good enough. And Nagy kind of paused and says, I I don't have that answer yet. We we just have to wait and see how it goes. So I would say Nick Foles, given the fact that he's had no offseason work with this team. The fact that he's come out and looked respectable, and these two guys are certainly, I think, at least even at this point, is certainly good for Foles. I'm not sure it's great for Trubisky.
0: All right, Jeff. We'll keep a close eye on that. Thank you very much, my man.
2: I only have one question.
0: My next question is in Milwaukee. Journal Sentinel Bucks beat reporter Matt Velasquez is with me. Here on ESPN Radio, Matt, the Bucks have just looked bad from the, from the moment this thing restarted. The most consistent team in the NBA over the course of the last two years have just looked bad, and they look bad again in their first playoff game against Orlando. Can you put your finger on why, and is the solution easy to find?
5: You know, I think it's really just they, uh, they're not themselves. They're not being themselves. They're not playing as hard as they used to. Um, they're not as consistent, not as cohesive. Uh, I think the the schemes themselves aren 't necessarily bad or wrong or, or broken uh, I, I think it 's just kind of the players who haven't gotten to a flow and maybe it 's because they didn 't play a ton of minutes they didn 't get a lot of time together during the seeding games they didn 't really take those super seriously, even though they they would say they did um, you know the, the results kind of speak for themselves and I think they need to uh, they need to do some soul searching and, and we 'll see what kind of soul searching uh, comes up with when they play the magic game tomorrow.
0: Would you describe Giannis as angry? How, how would you describe his psyche right now with the way the team is playing and being in a one nothing hole in the playoffs?
5: I don't think he's angry, but I would I would say he's frustrated. He's not happy with how things are going. Uh, I don't think anybody anyone on that team is happy with how things are going. Um, th- this isn't who they are, and that's been the constant refrain: is that they haven't been themselves, and you know the they need to figure out how to become themselves. Otherwise. You know, all of their, their dreams and goals are going to go out the window after such a good season.
0: Absolutely. Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I've
5: got to ask him
2: one question.
0: And then one more. My buddy Mike Reese covers the Patriots for us. He's on with me on Get Up all the time. And, Mike, I'm intrigued with this conversation that started this morning with Belichick about the possibility of a platoon system at quarterback with Jared Stidham and Cam Newton. What can you tell me?
3: Well, it's very interesting, Greeny. I was at the third practice at camp today, and, and Cam Newton's taken off on these designed runs up the field. And then you have Jared Stidham, more of the traditional quarterback, who's ripping it, you know, in different all areas of the field. And the whole idea is, can Cam catch up, you know, to the playbook? He only signed July eighth, so he's got a lot of catch up to do. And can they run everything they would want to run with him? So the questions asked to Belichick: Hey, would you almost combine it and platoon it, and consider doing something like that with the contrasting skill sets of the two quarterbacks? And he said he would never rule anything out if he felt like it gave the Patriots the best chance to win.
0: Which is exactly what you would expect Belichick to say. Bottom line question on this, Mike Reese. The day before the opening game against Miami, will Belichick have announced the court? Will we know who the starting quarterback is going to be?
3: I wouldn't be surprised if the answer is no, Greeny, because he's going to want to keep the Dolphins guessing. But I will say this. I will be surprised if Cam Newton isn't, really the guy hmm. And when all is said and done in this discussion you know what i see green i see the players responding to him and to the energy he's bringing to the practice field so i'm actually going to go out and say i think it'll be an upset if he isn't
0: the guy after all is said and done okay great work reese thanks my man i'll see you and on, on get up at some
4: point I next few days that's
0: one question with us here on espn radio it's pretty good all right i think we could use a little work there maybe a little more set up but Generally speaking, I like it. We run around the world of sports there. We find out the things that are going on. Just recapping, I think the Trubisky versus Foles thing is as interesting as anything in the NFL. This is a team that traded up. to. T- I don't need to keep rubbing the salt and the wounds of all of my friends and family in Chicago. But everybody knows they traded up to take Mitch Trubisky ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And now this is it. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is his waterloo. I mean, either he beats out Foles or it's over there. So that one is fascinating for me to watch. The Bucks, I believe they will bounce back and win this series, but they've just looked terrible since the whole thing restarted again in the bubble. And then the Belichick thing, if you were listening earlier, I told you, I think if anyone's going to turn the sport on its ear and play two quarterbacks, it would be Bill Belichick. We'll see if he does it. I'm Greeny. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They will help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Can I tell you my favorite thing that happened in sports last night? For all the interesting NBA stuff we had, you know, the Lakers losing and LeBron and everything else. Fernando Tatis Jr., again with a lead, stole third last night off the pitcher who had thrown behind Manny Machado the night before. Are you following this story? The whole world, including his own manager, browbeating 21 21-year-old Fernando Tatis Jr. for hitting a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch the other night with a seven-run lead because the whole world has gone nuts, including one of my favorite people in the world. It breaks my heart. Joe Torre, whom I love and who was one of my absolute favorite people, is on the Michael Kay Show on ESPN Radio New York yesterday. He took the wrong side of this.
1: Ball's teed up for you. Base is loaded. He's going to throw a ball. If he can throw a ball down the middle, just not to walk him with the bases loaded, lose him by, you know, seven runs. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of that. I think it's, it's rubbing it in. You know, teams have blown leads. I mean, it wasn't like the old Army back when I played, you know, with a five-run lead. You didn't steal a base late in the game stuff like that but you know runs are scored at will anymore so it's a mixed bag but I'm, I'm still not comfortable with
0: it he's not comfortable with it joe is not comfortable with it i can't believe what i'm hearing this isn't stealing a base he's up what's he supposed to do he's batting he's is he supposed to put himself he's up 3-0 on the pitcher is he supposed to put himself into a 3-2 situation and then is he allowed to hit a home run like what is he allowed to do Of all the unwritten rules, this is the stupidest one I've ever heard. And thank goodness, Manny Acta, of all people, Manny Acta, tweeted this yesterday. And if you've never heard of Manny Acta, it's because, well, he's just not that famous. But he was a player in my youth. And Manny Acta tweeted, while coaching third base in Montreal, I held up a runner at third out of respect for the other club. Frank Robinson was the manager. He almost grabbed me by the ear and he said to me, listen, son, you only have enough runs when you're showering after a win. Thank God for Frank Robinson. I, 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 don't, I can't believe what I'm hearing with this. I get the unwritten rules. I get not rubbing it in your opponent's face. But if you're supposed to stop playing the game, then just insert the mercy rule. Put a rule in that says if it's a seven-run lead, the game is over. If the game is not over, that 21-year-old kid should be trying to hit a home run. Hey, you can stream Our Time, the new series on ESPN+. Plus. You get an all-access look at Oklahoma State football as they reopen campus, deal with COVID-19 testing, and an investigation of head coach Mike Gundy. Stream new episodes every Thursday only on ESPN+. Plus. Up next, I will tell you about the night that ESPN convinced me that my wife would never marry me. That's next. I'm Greeny. This is ESPN Radio.
4: Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests on the Shell
0: Penzo Performance Line. One's going to join me in just a second. And it's that time of year. The NFL's almost here, and ESPN Fantasy Football's around the corner. Draft your team, compete with your friends, and take home the crown. Sign up now at ESPN.com slash Football today. So, recapping what we've done so far this morning. The Lakers are not in trouble. They'll be fine. The Bucs are going to win their series as well. Brett Favre was live here, and he was awesome. And baseball has absolutely lost its mind. But right now, there's one thing I really want you to know. I need you to listen carefully. I just want you to know. I just want you to know this. So I will be an employee of ESPN for 24 years next week. And I will never forget the first time I was ever on ESPN. This was long before anyone had ever heard of anything called Mike and Mike. I got hired here to be an anchor at ESPN News. And they started me by putting me on one sports center. I got to do sports center on a Saturday evening. And I anchored a 30-minute sports center. And my then-girlfriend, now wife, traveled here from Chicago, where we'd been living, to sort of celebrate with me. So I anchor the show. We go out for dinner to celebrate. This is the, the crowning achievement of my lifetime. I was 29 years old. I sit down at the table in the restaurant, and the waiter comes over, and he says, oh, we are so excited to have you here. I'm a huge sports fan. I love ESPN. I'm thrilled to have you in the restaurant. And he gave me wonderful service, and I'm thinking, I've never felt so good about myself in my entire life. He gives me great service. They bought us dessert, and when he brings the check, he says, and I quote, I just want to say again, Mr. Levy, what a delight it has been to have you here. We really enjoyed it. He thought I was Steve Levy. And in that moment, I thought to myself, this woman will never marry me. So the good news is I was wrong about the second part, but the first part of it, I continue to be proud of. And I've told him that story a million times. And now I'm proud of him because Steve Levy, my longtime friend this week was announced as the new announcer for Monday night football. And I wanted to bring him in on here for a second and talk about that. Hello, Steve. Congratulations.
4: Greeny. That story never gets old to me. I take that as the highest compliment. And, uh, and by the way, you know, because I got there a little bit before you. Uh, obviously, things have flip flop and you have uh, overtaken as a massive celebrity. And I wish, I wish someone thought I was you, you know, at that point.
0: Well, so. let's not be ridiculous here. I'm, I'm your Mr. Fancy voice of Monday Night Football now. Uh, all kidding aside, congratulations. And, and, and it, is, it is great. To, you're one of the very few people here now who have been here longer than I have. And, and so I, what I wanted to ask you today was this. Because you and I grew up similar time, similar place, sort of similar way. Yeah. And I had Brett Favre on earlier and I was I was getting into the psychology of how Favre he wasn't the best player ever, but he was as beloved by the people who rooted for him as any player ever. And it occurs to me that everybody had their Brett Favre. Like my I my Brett Favre was Joe Namath. And and it wasn't about whether he's the greatest of all time. You could never convince me anyone was greater than Joe Namath. I'm 53 years old now. Joe Namath will forever be my favorite player. There's nothing that could ever happen that would change that. Everyone has their Brett Favre. So, you, Steve Levy, who was your Brett Favre when you were growing
4: up? Yeah. Um, oh, so, you know, when I was, I was going to say Charles Barkley is my contemporary of Brett Favre, right? He's a guy who was beloved in his cities, uh, the work ethic, he, uh, the exuberance, the joy on his face, you know, those kinds of things that he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I put Barkley in that far of class. class, uh, not the best player ever, but clearly a superstar. Of course, differences, as uh, Shaq pointed out last night, uh, Barkley doesn't have those things, you know, the rings. So mm-hmm. uh, Barkley would be a guy like that. And obviously having to come to know him, as you know him as well now, Uh, he's so generous, uh, so charitable. He's obviously awesome on television, too. Uh, I'm just a huge Charles Barkley fan. And of all the people I've heard from over these last couple days about Monday night, it was nice. Chuck reached out recently. So I've forever been a huge Charles Barkley fan. Just the way he played the game, at the size he played it, too, you know.
0: What are you most excited about as, as you get to take on this new challenge? You've been doing games forever. I've heard yeah. you do hockey here for 25 years or whatever it's been. This is a, a different animal and in a, the first season ever in which the circumstances will be what they'll be. What should we be most looking forward to, assuming we can start this season on time, which everyone is hoping we can?
4: Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's just bringing it back to the focus, to the field, Green. I think now, so more than ever, it's so important. You know, for some reason, uh, there's been so much attention paid to the Monday Night Football broadcast booth. You know, it's always been, for me, it's always been about the game on the field. And I think uh, we'll try to get that focus back on the field. And our schedule is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, people in the know our executives think it's the best Monday Night Football schedule we've had in a, in a decade. So, and, and maybe more. So we're really excited about that. Uh, you know, we did that one game last year, the second uh, Monday night game in our traditional doubleheader. And so, uh, Lewis and, and Brian and I got started that way and thrilled to be with Lisa and John Parry. And so, I think we're in a position to succeed, but I really do. I think we are in uh, a position to be successful. And we know the ratings should be up because there can't be any fans in the stands. Or at least there won't be a lot of fans in the That's stands. That's right. So. Quick can't final thought. Can't wait for the games, man. I, re- I really can't. Right now, this is really nice, Greeny. Like, like, these couple days have been great. It's been great for my kids and my mom and dad and my sister and family and friends and guys I go back to fourth grade with and Oswego State and all that stuff. But I'm looking forward to getting to work and really getting to the grind of the NFL. Well,
0: I'm looking forward to watching. Real quick, Steve, 14-2 for yeah. the Jets. Realistic or no? <laughs> <laughs> Not realistic. We'll take 10-6. and six. Hey, division's wide open, Greedy. Wide open. We'll see, Steve. Congratulations, you're the man, and, and it, it is an honor to be mistaken for you anytime.
4: Greeny, thanks for having me on. Good luck with the new radio show. If you have any questions about how to do radio or anything, you know, give me a call anytime. I will.
0: Thank you, my man, Steve <laughs> Levy. That's <you>, <laughs> a great guy. I, I was trying to make a list of the people who've been here longer than I have, and there's not too many people on that list, but Steve is, and it's a hundred percent true story. Guy brings me the check and says, Mr. Levy, it's been great having you. It's time for Making Moves on Greeny. Kawhi Leonard scored 29 in his first playoff game for the Clippers on Monday. Game two tonight. Here, ESPN Radio, Making Moves, brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Build your winning team today. Go to linkedin.com slash sports. I give the Mavericks a real chance to win this game tonight. They probably would have won. They would have certainly had a chance the other night if they don't throw Porzingis out of that game in ridiculous fashion. We could use a little drama and on and, and these off nights, like we got the good series. Last night's games were phenomenal, obviously, or at least the drama created was phenomenal, particularly with the Lakers losing. But like I told you, they'll be fine. Anyway, really enjoyed today. Thanks again to Brett Farr for being here. I will see you tomorrow morning, 8 Eastern, coast to coast on ESPN for Get Up and then back here in the afternoon for Greeny. Have a great day, ESPN Radio.